0: All right, good morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Well, this is fun. Uh, we got our chair. Hey, back there. I like you guys are in the top row. I respect that a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, we've been kind of blessed in this construction process process in that we have had hardly any delays with the exception of our 220 chairs being stuck in the supply chain for ten weeks, but they're here, uh, and we're excited about it. And we know the Lord is going to fill them with new believers uh, in the years to come. So, uh, excited, excited to be here uh, for that this morning. Well, I'd love for you to grab a Bible. Uh, there should be one near you, or if you brought your own, uh, go ahead and grab one. Uh, we're going to take a look at our passage for this morning. If you're using a church Bible, we're on page 724. Uh, If you're visiting for the first time today, I want you to know that you have come to a church that is a great place for you to actually open up a Bible and begin to study and learn God's word to you. Uh, If you were here last week, we started talking about John the Baptist, whom his main job was to prepare the way uh, for Jesus. And then today in our passage, Jesus is going to come on the scene for the first time in the book of John. So Let's take a look, uh, again, page 724, John chapter one, so you find the big number one, and then now we're on verse 29, and so if you find the small uh, 29, you, you will be in the right place. Okay, here's what it says. The next day John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me surpassed me because he was before me. And what he's saying by that is that Jesus has existed always, and so he's been before him. And he says, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Okay, so John the Baptist sees Jesus coming on the scene. He's gonna introduce Jesus to the world, essentially, right? And how does he introduce Jesus? Does he say, look, everybody, here is the kindest person I've ever met. Or just to say, hey, group, I just want to tell you, here comes the greatest moral teacher the world has ever seen. He is going to teach us to love our neighbor. Right? Now, those things may be true, but that's not Jesus' main purpose in coming. And so he says what? He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't know what that phrase means to you, maybe it's rich with meaning or maybe it sounds like a bunch of confusing religious jargon, but that phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, would have been rich with meaning for the Jewish listeners who were at the Jordan River that day. So. I wanna kind of get you in their sandals so you can hear it like they heard it. So we're gonna do a little bit of Old Testament history for a little bit here this morning. Uh, If you're taking notes, uh, we're talking about the lamb and the dove today. So you can write a little heading that says the lamb. I know we got a number of 10 and 11 year olds still with us in the service. Uh, If you're using your note sheet right here, you can write the lamb on there. And I know you guys are with us for, I think, three more weeks. Uh, And then we are opening up our amazing uh, kids wing, uh, which if you didn't hear last week, It's opening a week early, so it's going to open on January 7th, which is really cool. So the first main story about a lamb in the Old Testament is the story of Abraham and Isaac. I'd actually love to help you explore the Bible with me this morning, so would you grab your Bible again, and I want you to turn uh, to Genesis chapter 22, or if you're using the Bibles here, page 14, so we're going towards the beginning here. And we see that God surprisingly asks Abraham, who's sort of this father of the Jewish faith, to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And Abraham is willing to trust God, even when God is asking him to do the unthinkable, which is to take his son's life. And then Genesis chapter 22 tells us this. So we're on 22, and then I wanna go to verse six, so the small number six. Here's what it says. It says, Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? That's a good question uh, for the burnt offering. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. Okay, that's a phrase that's gonna echo through history for the burnt offering, my son. Okay, and then, just as Abraham is about to actually sacrifice his son, an angel calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And then look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram. Now, a ram is just a grown-up lamb, okay? It's an adult male. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So from the early pages of the Bible, we see this concept of a lamb being provided in the place of a sinner. Now, if you keep going in the Bible, years later, Abraham's descendants, now called the Israelites, get stuck in slavery in Egypt, right? And then we see another story of the lamb occur. So go forward in your Bible a little bit. I want you to turn to page 46, um, which is Exodus chapter 12, if you're in your own Bible. So they're stuck in slavery. God has sent a deliverer, Moses, to get them out of slavery from the Egyptians and Pharaoh and God's gonna inflict 10 different plagues on the Egyptians and the last plague is the death of the firstborn sons. And the Israelites were told that here's how the plague's gonna work. The Lord said, at midnight, I'm gonna send essentially the angel of death, the destroyer, through the town and all of the firstborn sons across the land will die unless you take a lamb and you sacrifice it, and then you do the following. So if you're open to Exodus chapter 12, um, we're gonna look now to verse seven, so small number seven, and here's what it says. Verse seven, it says, then they are to take some of the blood, that's from the lamb, and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And now you, first look at that, if you never heard this story before, it's like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what's the point of that? Well, we get it in verse 12. So look down to verse 12. Verse 12 is this. It says, on that same night, this is the Lord speaking, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, I am the Lord. The blood, so that's the blood they put on their doorposts, their frame, will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. And then the Jews are instructed through all, out all time that they are to celebrate every year this religious holiday called Passover when the Lord passed over them, right? And they have done so now for 3400 years. The idea of the lamb is in front of them. The lamb was sacrificed so that they could live. Now the Israelites, if you keep reading the Bible, they leave Egypt, they're on their journey to their homeland of Israel, and on the way, God gives them the moral law, so think like the Ten Commandments, but he also gives them the ceremonial law, like how to make sacrifices so they can pay for their sins and atone for their sins, and mostly when they're sacrificing, they're sacrificing. There's some goats and some rams, but mostly it's even year-old lambs without defect. And again, the lamb is taking the punishment that they deserve for their sins. And we see this come up again, even in the greatest prophecy for the Jews, maybe the greatest prophecy of the world. I want you to go way ahead now in your Bibles to page 505. This is Isaiah chapter 53. If you've never read Isaiah 53 before, this is a chapter I want you to read tonight. Maybe the most impressive thing in history, really. So this is 800 years before Jesus. These amazing words were predicted about Jesus. Just amazing. So Isaiah 53, and I wanna go to verse five. All right, here's what the prophecy says. It says, but he, he's talking about the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. That's a fancy word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, again, sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He, this is the Messiah, who would be Jesus, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So Isaiah the prophet is saying that when the Messiah comes, he will be the lamb of God who takes away our sin and puts it on him. Self. So what's happening here? God is just burning this imagery into the Jewish mind that a lamb takes the sacrifice for our sins and takes away our sin. It just keeps getting clearer and clearer as you continue to read in the Old Testament. In fact, I'll give you an example of this. At, at our house uh, this Christmas season, we have these advent blocks that we got for our kids. I'll show you a picture of what it looks like. This is, I did not take this picture. <laughs> I, I can't take photos like that. That's from the internet. Um, but it's essentially this. It's, it's 25 different, Advent blocks with the 25 first 25 days of Christmas, and then every day you read a Bible story, and then the kids go up for that date, and they turn the date over, and you see an image from the Bible story. And really, there aren't 25 Christmas stories, so the first half of the blocks are stories from the Old Testament. And you really get the sense reading this that the people were just waiting, and they were waiting, and they were waiting for the lamb. In fact, every reading, every day, it ends and it says, so they began to hope and pray, God, will you come back to stay? They're wondering, will the land come? When will the land come? When is the lamb coming? So now that you know this, and you're in sort of the Jewish mindset, now we understand that when John the Baptist, in our passage, says, look, the lamb of God, we hear that and we go like, what's that, The lamb? what does that even mean? But for them, when he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that is a show-stopping sentence for them. Okay, jaws are hitting the floor. They're elbowing their neighbors saying, he's here. He's here, we've been waiting forever, he's here. He's come, the lamb has come. Right? That's why in our text, John says that he came so the lamb might be revealed to Israel. And then Jesus Christ, of course, would be the lamb of God, right? So this is sort of the introduction to Jesus. If you keep reading through the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus taught for three years. He did miracles, he discipled people, and then eventually he does give his life as a sacrifice on the cross, and to be resurrected three days later. But the symbolism of his death And his sacrifice is that he's dying in your place, taking the punishment for your sins, just like those lambs at the temple did, just like the lamb on Passover did. And this is something, believer in Christ, that you want to let sink in deeply to your heart. Because even if you've been a believer for a while, and I know a number of you have, some of you have grown up in the church and maybe you've heard a teaching something like this on the lamb before, I think lots of times what we do is we only apply this sort of teaching to our initial salvation, we say, "Oh yeah, I kind of understand that. Jesus died in my place. That's kind of how I was forgiven. You know, when I became a Christian uh, ten years ago, that's 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 really nice." Uh, okay, yes, but my friend, I want you to let this gospel truth about the Lamb affect you still today, and I suspect that for many believers it doesn't, because we've just kind of made it a thing of the past, not our present. But I want you to think of it this way. Okay, I want you to imagine that you are an Israelite in the days of the Old Testament, okay? And let's say you sinned. I know, it doesn't sound possible. Let's just say you did, okay? And you stole, or you lied, or you cheated, or something like that. Now, when you felt guilt or remorse for what you did, you had to be made right. You had to be forgiven by God. So what you would do in those days is you would have to go out to your flock or buy something from someone else's flock and find a lamb without defect. And then you would need to bring that lamb to the tabernacle or eventually the temple in Jerusalem and you would have to sacrifice it because it needed to pay for your sins. Now, more specifically, what you would actually do when you got to the temple is you would take your lamb and the book of Leviticus that has all the laws, and I'm sure you've read it several times, um, the book of Leviticus that has all the laws on the sacrifice says that you, because you're the sinner, are to place your hand on the head of the lamb and then it says, you, in almost every instance, not the priest, you are to actually kill the lamb. And then the priest takes the blood and splatters the blood onto the altar. Now don't think, oh, that's just so gruesome, because some of you went there, right? This is an agrarian world, it's not gruesome to them. Okay, even 100 years ago, this is how people, you had to kill the animal to eat. You know, many of you gladly eat slaughtered animals every day, Right? We're just not so close to it. so don't get distracted by that, right? Okay, but if this is you, and you're dealing with this guilt and this shame over what you did, and it's heavy on your heart, but imagine that you went to the temple and you actually saw forgiveness happening before your eyes. What would that feel like, right? If you actually could look and you could literally feel the exchange of God's wrath that was meant for you and then see that he's diverting it off of you onto something else. I imagine that would actually have been pretty powerful. Now, thankfully, we don't have to do this anymore because the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is our final sacrifice, but this is where I think studying and meditating on this theological truth that Jesus is the lamb is really important. It can't just be a theological concept. You need to take your sin daily and put it on the lamb of God. To walk, actually walk in that forgiveness that has occurred in your life. In fact, let me just ask, let's get specific here, right? I'm going to get personal. What is it in your life that you are struggling with in sin? Where is your shame? What is it that you are hiding from God, compartmentalizing, holding on to, not giving to God? What is it? You're saying, oh, I'm just so terrible at this, I keep doing this, what is, I want you to actually take like 10 seconds and think about it. I want everybody to get something in your mind. What is it? I'll take a drink while you think. Now I want you to take that very thing, the Lord has placed on your mind, and I want you to bring it to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, I wanna do something unique right now. And I want you all in this room, I want you to close your eyes and picture Jesus Christ on the cross. Would you just do that for me? Close your eyes and picture Jesus up on the cross. Can you see him? Now, I want you in your mind, I want you to walk over to Jesus, be near him. Can you picture his face? Even while on the cross, I pray that you can sense his love for you, this forgiveness that he has for you. That's why he's on the cross in the first place. Now I want you in your imagination, as your eyes are closed, I want you to reach your hand out and I want you to touch where Jesus is on the cross. You can do this in real life if you want to, it doesn't matter to me. I want you to reach out and touch where Jesus is on the cross. This is just like the Israelites of the Old Testament. They would have placed their hand onto the lamb who is about to be sacrificed. Now what I want you to do as you're sort of touching the Lamb of God is I want you to take that sin that you were thinking of and I want you to transfer it over to the Lamb of God. In your mind, in your heart, I want you to tell him what you've done and I want you to let the guilt of that go on to Jesus Christ. Would you just take 10 or 15 seconds and would you just do that? Would you just tell him? Go ahead. You can open your eyes. Believers, I think this is an amazing <laughs> theological truth that so much we just let stay in our minds and we haven't brought down to our hearts. Isn't this amazing? The Father loves you so much that even despite your sin, he's allowing his rightful justice not to come down on you, but to come down on the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. That's Amazing. Now, I wanna go back to our original passage because we're doing the lamb and the dove today. We gotta get to the dove. Okay, so go back, we on 724. We're gonna read three more verses here. Okay, we're gonna go into the dove, so that means we're at verse 32 now. Here's what it says. It says, then John, John the Baptist, gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, that's on Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is, is God's chosen one. Okay, so let's make sense of this. John is saying the one that the Holy Spirit comes and rests on is going to be the chosen one. He's going to be the Messiah. He says he's going to be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Okay, well, the word baptize literally means to immerse. That's what the word means, to plunge into. That's one of the reasons among many that when we baptize people here, that we immerse them into water. We don't sprinkle them with water because that's not what the word means. And John is saying that the Messiah Jesus is going to baptize, he's going to immerse people in the Holy Spirit. He's gonna fill them up with God. Christians are, we talked about this uh, in September back at North Point Elementary, Christians are temples. We are dwelling places to be immersed, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And the sign that Jesus is going to be the Messiah who will do this amazing thing is going to be that a dove will come down and rest on him. Well, why a dove? That's kind of an interesting question. Now, for years and years, people have sort of speculated and said the Holy Spirit is probably represented as a dove because doves are so beautiful and peaceful, right? But I just want to say to the Jew, at the Jordan River 2,000 years ago, that's probably not the connection that they would've made. Let, let me explain. When you picture a dove, what do you think? Just yell something out, what do you picture? This, yeah, like pure white, probably something like this, right? Ah, oh, so lovely, right? We picture this white, beautiful, peaceful dove. Now many of you learn this in studying God's word, even this summer. When you interpret scripture, you want to be very careful to not interpret your cultural understanding back into the text. And that's kind of what we do when we think about the dove, but they wouldn't have thought of the dove that way. I was talking this week when we were studying the passage with our resident bird expert, Pastor Josh, who we have on staff to help us with things like this, and he pointed out to me that this image of the dove that we think of right here isn't even what a normal dove looks like. Now today, we can breed doves that look like this, but if you see a white dove, it actually has a genetic mutation, like albinism, right? Or it's an albino, essentially. Now there's a much greater chance that what they actually saw that day by the Jordan River looks something more like this. And so for the Jews, in their context, because we're using historical context here, they're not thinking, oh, white and beautiful and peaceful. The first thing they would have thought of was how they typically, in their context, would have interacted with doves. And for the average common Jew, they actually had a deep spiritual connection with the dove. And that's because, again, Leviticus, tells us that if you, when you offered your sacrifices, if you were too poor to be able to afford a lamb to sacrifice, you sacrificed, you wanna guess? Doves, doves, and so what's, what's happening here? God, with the Holy Spirit, is marking Jesus as the one who will give his life for everyone. Everyone. No matter your economic status, no matter your job, no matter who you are, he came for you. That's who Jesus Christ is. And we read in the other gospels, as the other three books about Jesus, that the Holy Spirit actually came down as a dove at Jesus's baptism. So listen, baptism is so important that even Jesus gets baptized. And you know, he didn't even have to because he never sinned, right? But he does it, he does it as an example for us. It's that important. In fact, he even commands us as believers to get baptized. And so if you're here this morning and you're sitting down and you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have never been baptized, that means You've never been immersed as a believer. When you've been a believer in Jesus, be obedient to this to God's word, and sign up to get baptized. You can do it before you leave today at our welcome table. You can do it right now. and Get out your phone and do it on your app. We're gonna do uh, more baptisms uh, in January, probably more in February. We're doing them all throughout the morning today. We wanna work with you. You can come and give your testimony. I can just ask you a few questions. You can do a video testimony. We have one of those in second service Day. We just want you to be obedient to what the Lord is doing on your heart. All right, at this point, I actually wanna call our baptismal team on stage because like I said, we are doing baptisms uh, this morning, and we're gonna celebrate one at this service of baptisms, If you've never seen this at a church before, in the scripture, they are a visual reminder that God has washed away our sin when we believed in Jesus Christ. It's not only that we're immersed and that this is washing, there's that we are dead in our sins and then we have come up through our faith as a brand new person in Christ. And again, it's not that baptism does that per se, it's that baptism is a symbol of that's what happened when we made a profession of faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, Every person that you see baptized at Renovation Church is baptized by other people, which we just love to see happen. uh, And we get to hear their testimonies. And we have a great testimony for you this morning. So at this point, I'd like to welcome Blanche to the stage.
1: Good morning. morning. I'm sorry, I'm nervous. Um, For a long time, I ran away from the call of Christ. Growing up, I believed in a God but as I grew older, I allowed my life circumstances to push me further away from him. I felt abandoned by him, and eventually I stopped believing in him. After this, my life took a turn for the worse. I became more depressed and suicidal. I became lost, a shell of my former self, Becoming addicted and dependent on drugs to cope with my pain, my trauma, my anger, and my stress. Quickly, my life began to fall apart, and it seemed like everything I did to try and fix it resulted in inevitable failure. My constant failures made me feel like a mistake. I decided once again that I was going to end it all. On the day I decided to carry out this plan, I randomly received a call from one of my childhood friends. I didn't tell her about my plan to take my life, but I opened up to her about some of the things I was struggling with. She offered to pray for me. I obliged her offer because I didn't wanna hurt her feelings by saying no, even though I believed I was past the point of help. When she prayed for me, I felt something that's hard to explain, but the best way to put it is that I felt a feeling that I've been chasing my entire life, a sense of peace. That encounter with God saved me and it changed my life. I never thought in a million years that I would be alive today, clean and back in school. But Philippians 4.13 says, through the strength of Christ, we can do all things. Because of him, I now have something I haven't had in years, hope. Thank you, Lord, for never leaving my side and giving me your mercy, even though I don't deserve it. My life is a lot easier now that I fully submitted to you. I give you my pain daily, and in return, you are faithful to give me your power to continue on. I absolutely accept Jesus Christ as my savior, the son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Forgive me, Lord, for my sinful ways and increase your spirit within me so that I can remain steadfast in serving you. Um, my sponsors are Tiffany and Essie, my best friends. They're not here, though.
0: Amen. Thank you, Planch. Appreciate it. That, uh, Jesus is amazing. And, and I think... This is why we appreciate testimonies so much because there are some of you in this room that you have a family member or a friend that is in that situation right now. And don't you for a second think that Jesus can't pull them out of it. Because he can. That's who he is. He is the Messiah. And so I just, do do not give up hope. That is the power of who he is. I wanna pull one more thing out of the passage uh, this morning before we're done. And, And that is this idea that when John the Baptist sees that Jesus Christ has been marked with a dove. And so he knows that he is the lamb of God. He says, I myself did not know him, but now I see and I testify that this is God's chosen one. But let me, let me tell you something that's really interesting about this. John the Baptist almost certainly did know who Jesus was beforehand. But what he's saying is he didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. I don't know if you know this or not, but John the Baptist and Jesus are actually second cousins. Um, their moms, Jesus' mom, Mary, and John's mom, Elizabeth, are first cousins. In fact, the book of Luke tells us that, and it tells us when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went away for a while, and who did she go visit? John's mom, Elizabeth. They were close, really close. So it's highly likely that John the Baptist and Jesus probably grew up together some, and knew each other. So what John is saying here is I knew Jesus as my cousin, I knew him as the carpenter from Nazareth, but I didn't know until now, until he was marked that Jesus is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And my prayer this morning for the people sitting here this morning is that some of you would say a similar thing, that you could say, I knew about Jesus. It's not like I'm hearing about Jesus for the first time or something, but I guess I just haven't ever deeply thought in a way that he is the one who died for me, who was sacrificed for me. But that's who he is. And that is who you are looking for. Listen, I find there are so many, especially out here in the suburbs, I think there are so many people who are just kind of going through the motions in typical suburban life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been trying for a while just kind of, you know, give your kids, a de- I don't know if you've got grandkids now or where you are, but give, give your kids or your grandkids a decent life and educational opportunities and sports and get a nice house and go through the careers that you're trying to get through. And You just kind of go through the motions, but honestly, for a lot of people deep inside, they're going, but something isn't quite right. And maybe you don't even say it out loud to other people, but you just know something isn't quite right. And for many suburbanites, I think that experience, that feeling of something just isn't right though is because you have worked on all these different parts of your life, but you haven't actually worked on the deepest issue of life. And that is the issue of eternal life. The idea that there are millions and billions and billions more years to come after you die. And where are you going? And have you met this savior, Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is so much more than a figure or a teacher. He is the lamb of God who came and offered himself as a sacrifice for your sins. Doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter how many of them you have. He came and he said, I will take the bullet for them. I will die on the cross for them. Let your punishment, Lord, come on me. And he did it for you and the way that you are washed clean, the way that you can rise up to a new life, even if you feel like I'm at the bottom right now, that you could six months from now be standing up here and saying God has changed my life. He can do that, but the way that that starts is by you saying I believe Jesus that you came for me and I give you my life. And if there's anyone in here this morning that needs to trust him for the first time like that, to believe he died, yes, even for you, and to turn your life over to him, I'm telling you do it today, okay? So I'm gonna give you an opportunity now before we close the service. So one more time, would you just, everybody in the room, would you just close your eyes just for a minute? Because I just I want this to be a moment between you and God. If I am talking to you these last couple of minutes and you know that you need to make a decision for the first time to tell Jesus that you need that forgiveness for your sins, that you want him to come and walk next to you and lead your life, to believe that he died for you as the lamb, In just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to respond by just standing up where you are. Nobody's looking at you, so don't even think about that. But sometimes we just need that moment to say like, John, I've seen and I testify, and now I believe. And so God, come into my life. You're inviting him to come in and save you. So if you need to do that today, to actually believe in this Jesus, and that he died for you, and that he can turn your life around, and be that answer that you're really looking for, What I want you to do right now is no one's looking at you, but as a way to respond to that is just stand up in your seat and say, yeah, it's me. God, I receive you in. I'm going to follow you. Please forgive me. If that's you, wherever you are in this room, would you just stand? You'll know if you need to do it. Would you just stand to receive him? Go ahead. Anyone in here? You just know you need to trust him to turn your life over to him. I'll give you about five more seconds. If that's you, would you just stand? All right, you can open your eyes. I'm not seeing anyone at this 9 a.m. service, but I do want you to know, if this is just kind of opening your eyes to something new, that you can make this decision wherever you want. If you wanna talk more deeply about this, we or anyone on staff would love to just talk to you or anybody here, honestly, more about who this Jesus is. And we'd love for you to pursue him. Or honestly, there are Bibles all over this room. You can take a Bible with you today. There's even a little plan in there that shows you where you can start reading about who Jesus is. I'd love for you to do that as well. So feel free to take that this morning. Okay, let me just pray and just praise God for what he's doing in this space. Lord, we thank you. Uh, not just for chairs this morning. Uh, we thank you for people like Blanche who testified this morning and are now filling those chairs. We thank you, God, that you have filled her heart and so many others like that in this church. God, that is amazing. You, Father, you give us hope. Sometimes we look out and we see that this world is getting darker, but then we see these glimmers of light, God, and we know that you are still God and you are still on the throne, and we give you glory and we give you praise for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.